for us to go ahead and get started tonight if we can please looks like we've got a pretty good number here tonight we're glad that you're here and uh, we are are blessed once again to have folks visiting with us and it's always an honor to welcome guests and uh, I hope that uh, you'll find uh, your time here to be one of uh, enjoyment and it'll be beneficial to you you want to come back and be with us anytime that you can we have our worship assembly on Sunday morning at 9.30. We have Bible classes for all ages at 5 on Sunday night. We, love, we would love for you to come 
and be with us on that occasion. I hope you uh, got one of the bulletins when you came in. Uh, it's got an update on all the sick, and so please take note of that. And in addition to that, there's some announcements that I want to emphasize. First of all, uh, the Transform Ladies Retreat. If you're going to be a part of that, you'll meet this Sunday morning following worship in the uh, little chapel. Also, the teens need to remember your retreat coming up, uh, and uh, it's $25 is due for that. Our Bible Bowl will meet this coming Sunday afternoon at 415 downstairs in the conference room. Also, uh, I want to emphasize our free clothes closet giveaway that's going to take place this coming Saturday morning beginning at 9 o'clock till 1 in the afternoon. A lot of our ladies have already put in a lot of time uh, getting ready for that, and uh, you're more than welcome to come and assist with that. Uh, you can let other people know about it if they don't know about it as well. And uh, hopefully this is just a small way that we can let our community know that we care. Uh, we do want to express our deepest sympathy to Brian Rowland and the death of his sister, Linda Furr. Uh, that funeral was this afternoon in Baldwin. Also, we extend our sympathy to Kiri Parson and the death of her grandfather, uh, Jackie Roan from Boonville. The visitation is going to be 11 o'clock on Friday and the funeral at 1 and this will be at the Waters Funeral Home in Baldwin. Uh, there's going, there is a baby boy gift table uh, in honor of uh, the Brumleys, uh, the Brumley Bundle of Joy. Uh, you're encouraged to check that out and participate uh, if at all possible. Also, uh, Sister Marilyn wants us to know that uh, the tractor supply is having their farmer's market from 8.30 until 3 on Saturday. And the reason she wants me to emphasize that is because she's going to be having a table set up there for the SOS bag, saving one soul at a time. And uh, she's asked and requested if anybody here wants to uh, go and help her out there or, or see her, then uh, be sure and think about that this coming Saturday from 8.30 until 3. There is some announcements that I have written down here, so I just hope that I can uh, read my writing. I wrote it three hours ago. Usually two hours is my limit on anything that I write. Uh, we're having a life chain this coming Sunday afternoon from two until three. Uh, this is a, a silent protest uh, uh, against abortion. Uh, I think most of you probably are familiar with that and there's going to be signs available in the annex. So that's this Sunday afternoon at three in front of the TAC uh, if you want to be a part of that. I neglected to mention, and I want to emphasize this, that tomorrow the Golden Circle is going to be going to Joe Wheeler State Park Marina for an hour and a half boat tour. Uh, the cost is $20 per person. Uh, following that, we're going to be eating lunch together at Newburn's a restaurant there in Florence. And uh, we still have six uh, spaces available if that would be of interest to you. And uh, some have had to back out and that's fine. But uh, if you would like to go and be a part of that, sign that list tonight or let me know. Uh, and of course, I want to emphasize for those that are going, we've been told to dress warmly. So be sure and do that. And uh, we'll have a good time tomorrow. The bus is going to leave at 7.45 a.m. And hopefully we'll return somewhere around 3-ish. So if you want to be a part of that, please let me know. I believe that's all the announcements that I have. Uh, Brother Jeremy's going to lead our singing. Brother Ken Forrest will lead our prayer at the appropriate time. If you'll mark number 902. 902 will be our song of invitation. Before that, we'll sing number 23, Our God, He is Alive. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse.
one thing you probably are going to learn about me uh, eventually is my utter disdain for Shakespeare. Uh, I hope that doesn't offend anybody that really loves the arts and all the writings of Shakespeare, but I just don't like Shakespeare at all. Now, with that said, did you know that William Shakespeare wrote the hymn, I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. But it didn't quite tell you the whole truth. The man that wrote that song, his name is William Shakespeare Hayes. He's a journalist and songwriter that was born in 1837 in Louisville, Kentucky. But you see, I did tell you the truth. William Shakespeare did write that song, but I left out a very important point uh, to make it uh, exactly fit. Sadly, though, a lot of religious groups today do the same thing as they teach from the Bible. A lot of religious groups will emphasize the importance of believing in Jesus and confessing his name, but repentance is hardly ever mentioned, and baptism is totally rejected as being unnecessary. But I think if we're going to teach the truth about salvation, there's a number of things that need to be included. You know, baptism is mentioned over 90 times in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit does not waste words. Jesus and the apostles commanded baptism, Mark 16, 15, and 16. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3 and verse 21 that baptism doth now save us. In fact, baptism is the only part of salvation that places you actually into the body of Christ. In fact, in two different places, in Galatians 3 and verse 27, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13, the Bible specifically says that one is baptized into Christ. And so we believe and the Bible teaches that we're saved by salvation through faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And yet many people want to belittle, they want to minimize, they want to neglect the importance of the role of baptism in our salvation today. And by the way, baptism is the only time that we will ever and can ever be united with Christ in his death, Romans 6 and verse 5. And so tonight, I, I hope we'll understand the importance of being saved, and yet we hear a lot of false teaching around where we are today on television and among our religious neighbors and friends, and we ought not be afraid to tell the truth that Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament emphasize that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Tonight you may be here and you may be one that needs to obey the gospel. You, need to make, you may need to take that step of salvation tonight. You may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you may be willing to change your life and repentance. But tonight, if you're lost, you need to be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And so tonight, if you need to respond to heaven's invitation, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing.
and then our teachers will be dismissed, and the song we'll sing after the prayer. Thanks, Doug. That, isn't that great? Uh, Jeremy was sharing with me uh, before the service began that one of his clients has a daughter named Darby who has been missing for a week. So we're going to pray for that family in our prayer too. Let's bow together. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful, wonderful day that we've been able to experience. And we thank you for the many blessings that you've showered upon each of us. And yet, during this most beautiful, enjoyable day, there's been a lot of heartache. The family of those who have experienced loss, like the Rollins in Brian's sister's passing and of her funeral today. We also think of Kiri as she's lost a grandparent. And we pray, Father, that you'll comfort these parts of our family. We also pray, Father, for those who are suffering illness. And we're really glad that some have recovered and are doing better. But we also pray, Lord, that you will show mercy on those who are really suffering right now. And we pray, Lord, that you'll be with this family that has experienced the separation from their child. We pray for the Broadhead family as they are, I'm sure, in the grip of so much uncertainty and frustration and fear that their daughter is missing. But, Lord, we pray that she'll be found quickly and reunited with her family. We thank you, Lord, for all these wonderful things that are happening around us, for the growth of the college work, for the many activities that we hear are going on. And Lord, I pray that we'll examine ourselves and, and ask ourselves whether we're really engaged and taking advantage of these avenues by which we can reach the lost. I rejoice in those who are a party to that. But I also pray, Lord, that you'll motivate all of us to find our place and to get busy with all these opportunities around us. Please bless us in our Bible classes that they'll be profitable to growing us in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Our teachers can pass at this time. If you would, turn your songbooks to number 449. We'll sing thy word. 449. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a
that have been added. So if you'd like to jot these down, maybe on the bulletin that already has pretty comprehensive list, that would be terrific. Irene Baker has terminal cancer. Martha Eaton's recovering and seems to be doing great. Austin Wentz is undergoing treatments that are very taxing on his body. Ann Stevens has health issues as well as Don Dawson. We pray for their Getting better, Kim Fowler's recovering from foot surgery. Sue James has cancer. This is a friend of Rick Warner's. Quitman Wigginton is at Landmark. Um, Wade Davis has been missing now for 99 days. So please remember Sue Davis and their family. Carolyn Wilcutt and Catherine Floyd are recovering. Melinda Hester had shoulder surgery back in August. She's in recovery. Bobby Petty is Joe Garrett's friend that has lung cancer. Eric Fitzsimmons, who is Laurie Smith's brother-in-law, has some severely blocked arteries. They're trying to treat those. Coley Floyd had shoulder surgery uh, back in August. Steve Morgan had open-heart surgery. Seems to be doing pretty well. Uh, Doug Smith's dad, Kelby, has been sick uh, for quite a while now. Uh, Cody McGee, remember him and his recovery from his foot surgery. Vanessa Williams is a member at Snowdown. She has leukemia. Uh, our daughter Casey's still undergoing some tests. Don't really know anything yet. She's supposed to have a second biopsy here soon. Matt McVeigh is Sue Mason's great-nephew, great and um, I think he lost all of his toes in an accident at work. And Sue's here, but Sue's also dealing with some health issues. So Sue, I'm glad you're here, but I know you don't feel that well. Ann Langford is Lisa Peake's friend. She's been on our list before. She's back on it because she's dealing with some pretty serious health issues. Uh, don't forget the closed closet giveaway that's gonna be happening on Saturday. And similar to what Marilyn is gonna do, uh, over here I'm gonna have a table set up, also handing those bags out. So here's what you can do. You can get on the circuit. You can go visit her, come visit me. Let's just hand out bags. Woo, that sounds like fun. Uh, Chopper Taylor's been dealing with sciatica. Uh, that's a very painful experience. And also uh, the Taylor's youngest daughter has some neck and back problems, uh, experiencing some numbness. 
Uh, Luther has had his medical devices removed from his body. All the foreign substances are gone. And he'll, show you the, he'll show you the bandage if you want to see it, but not right now. Uh, but uh, really glad that he was able to do that. Uh, again, remember uh, Brian Rowland and his family and Carrie Parson and her family. Sailor Smith is in Le Bonheur. Uh, he ha has had some fluid seeping from his eyes. His grandmother is Linda Shirley from Marietta. Larry Kennedy has a mass in his shoulder and maybe ha has something to do with his bone marrow. Uh, this is brother-in-law, Becky Johnson. Uh, Jim Olive has been placed on hospice care. Many of you know him at his home there in Nashville. And his wife, Beth, asked that we remember their family and our prayers. Rick Warner's granddaughter, Marley, was involved in a side-by-side -side accident on Sunday. She had pretty gruesome injury. They had to do surgery, and she's recovering. It's going to be a long recovery, so please remember Marley. Okay, yeah, she had to stay um, uh, taking antibiotics, but glad, glad to hear that she's able to go home. I have some really good friends uh, Stephen and Jackie Donaldson. Uh, Jackie is uh, potentially facing some pretty serious health problems. Uh, they called me yesterday and just please remember the Donaldsons. Uh, Christy Broadhead, that's Jeremy's client that I mentioned before our prayer. Uh, their daughter, Darby, has been missing since last week this time, so we pray that she can be returned quickly. And then, wow, that hurricane, Ian, it's a bad one. Um, it's, it's, it is a solid hurricane category four. Uh, they're not sure maybe, it, you know, when they reassess it, it'll be a five, but it is really tearing things up. So it's made landfall. It's going to make its course across Florida go back into the Atlantic, they think, and then hit the East Coast again around South Carolina or so. So re really bad storm, and a lot of people are affected in a very dramatic, life-changing sort of way. So we want to remember those folks, too. Well, let's have our prayer. Uh, are, we, are we good now or no? We know? Pardon? I'm going to give it a try, and if it don't, you know me, I'll abandon the technology like now. So here we go. Got your fingers and toes crossed? Okay, it might be me, I don't know. Doesn't seem to be going. Let's not waste another second on it. Let's have our prayer and then we'll begin our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings today. And thank you for your care and concern over all of us. And even, Lord, when things aren't going very well, when we're suffering, we put our complete and total trust in you. We pray, Lord, for these folks that we just mentioned who are sick. We're praying for their recovery or for their comfort. And that's certainly true for Irene Baker. We just pray comfort for her. Pray for Martha Eaton and her recovery, for Austin Wentz and the treatments he's enduring. Bless Ann Stevens and Don Dawson that they'll have better days. We pray for Kim Fowler and her recovery. Bless Sue James and her battle with cancer. Bless Quitman uh, as he's there at Landmark. We pray for the Davis family and we especially pray for Sue and her comfort. Bless Carolyn and Catherine and their recovery. Bless Melinda Hester that she'll have good use for her shoulder and foot again. Bless Bobby Petty and his battle with cancer. We pray for Eric Fitzsimmons that a treatment will be a success to help his body recover from the, the blocked arteries. We pray for Coley Floyd that he will have a full recovery. Bless Steve Morgan in his recovery from heart surgery. We pray for Kelby Smith that he'll have good days. 
Bless Cody McGee in the recovery with his foot. Bless Vanessa Williams in her battle with leukemia. Pray for Casey Wigginton that um, she can get a biopsy quickly and they can determine exactly what she is dealing with. We pray for Matt McVeigh in his recovery from his foot injury. We pray for Sue. We're glad she's here tonight, but Lord bless her that she'll feel better. Uh, be with Ann Langford, who's dealing with some health problems right now. We pray that she'll do well with her treatment. We pray for Chopper Taylor, who's suffering, and for his comfort, and also for his daughter. We're thankful that Luther is finally free of these devices that were in his body, and we pray that he'll heal from his surgery well and that he'll do well. Bless the Linda Fur family, especially our Brian. We pray for Carrie, Akiri Parson and the death of her grandfather. We ask your blessings on Sailor Smith, for Larry Kennedy, and for Jim Olive, and we pray that he'll have good days. We ask your blessings on Marley as she recovers from this terrible accident. And first, Lord, we're thankful that her injuries weren't worse, but they're bad enough, and we pray that she'll have a full recovery. Bless the Donaldsons, especially Jackie, as she has some uncertainty about her health right now. We pray for uh, Christy Broadhead and her family as they await the return of their daughter. And Father, we pray for those folks who are experiencing this hurricane right now and all the trauma that comes with it. And we pray that you protect lives and pray that they can recover from property damage very quickly. Lord, be with us in our study tonight as we think about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and help us in these conversion stories, not just to know the story, but to see the application of your word to their life and the salvation they enjoy. I pray we'll all enjoy that and then be vessels to share that knowledge with somebody else so that they can enjoy it too. Thank you, Lord, for all you do for us and with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Saul of Tarsus' story is going to be in three different places, and my intention is just to go bang, bang, bang like that. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 9 to begin with, the first 20 verses. Then we'll go to chapter 22, and same story, but there are a few extra little details. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 16 in that text. And then we'll go to chapter 26, verses 12 to 18. And in those series of stories, the recounting of this conversion, I think we'll find some pretty interesting facts that go along with the conversion of one of the, one of, at, at one point, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity, now converted to become one of the greatest uh, apostles who always thought of himself as the very least. Okay, so... Um, Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at these 20 verses and we'll do as we've been doing. We'll read through them. I will share some things with you that I think are important in the study and then if you'll jot those down, they'll be yours, okay? Yes, kid, we will. Okay, so it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Stop right there. Who's recently died as a result of efforts like what Saul is uh, involved here. Stephen. Stephen just died. And guess who was a party to that? This guy right here. So Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Went to the high priest, asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I find something interesting, a first instance of it right here. But we're actually going to have several mentions of it through the book of Acts. And that is what you find right there in verse 2. Okay, so... So Saul of Tarsus is decidedly against this Christian movement. 
the, the thing with Jesus. But he's asking for, for these letters so that if he found any who were of the way. And I don't know if your translation does this or not. Actually, the way, the word way right there is capitalized to kind of signify that there's something unusual about this. Now, Rick, are you ready? We've got this text, which is chapter 9 and verse 2. If we'll go over to chapter 19 and verse 9, Acts chapter 19, verse 9. What do you have there, Rick? Oh, you're not there yet? I don't know. Maybe we just have this race with Jeremy because Jeremy is going to be a reader tonight too. So. Just verse 9. <laughs> uh, chapter 19 and verse 9. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, Speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall, in the hall of Tyrannias. Okay, you see that there is some angst against what group? Described as, you saw it right there, right? The way, just like it is here in chapter 9, verse 2. Also, Jeremy, go to verse 23 of that chapter. Chapter 19, verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. A disturbance concerning the way. The way, the way, the way. Okay. Uh, Rick, you want to read one? Okay. How about chapter 22 and verse 4? Paul said, I persecuted the way, just as it was described here in chapter 9, verse 2. I'm against the way. I'm going to get up people. Now, chapter 22, now he says, that was, that was my thing. I am against the way. Okay. Then also chapter 24, and look at verse 14. I guess, Jeremy, you, you next. <laughs> we'll go ping pong it. Okay. 24 verse 14. But this I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing nothing laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Okay, now he says it's the way, but it's also considered to be a sect. Okay, all right. And then um, go on down to verse 22 of chapter 24. What does that say? Kind of saying... Same context. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off saying, when Lysus, the tribute comes down, I will decide your case. Accurate knowledge of the way. Okay, so here through the book of Acts, you have six different references to the way. And probably in your translations, I didn't ask them when they read it, but probably in each one of those, they're capitalized to signify that this is not this is not something to just pass over. Stop and pay attention to that. Okay, what is the way? I guess that's what I'm getting to. Six different times in the book of Acts. Think that's pretty significant? Yes, because here in the book of Acts, the first two chapters were stressing the development of what? Coming into the existence in the world of the church. And now we know that Saul of Tarsus is against the way. And then we find out that the way is actually a sect considered by many as a sect, meaning a sect of the Jews. So it's an outgrowth of that. What is the way? Okay, the way here in the book of Acts is, is the church. When you see that, you're talking about the church. Does that remind you of anything that Jesus actually said about himself? John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now the church says, well, or at least what's being said of them is that they are the way. Does that make any sense why those two would actually be true, concurrent with one another? Well, Jesus is the way, but where is Jesus? He's ascended to the Father. Who's now carrying on the work of Jesus? The church is. The church is the what of Christ? It's the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The church is the body. Why is it, you think then, okay, so there's six references here in Acts to the church being 
the way. It's even capitalized to signify its importance. Six different times reference to the church. You know, eight different times through the New Testament, the church is referred to as the church of God. Eight different times. How many times in the New Testament is it referred to as the church of Christ? One time. Romans chapter 16, verse 16. In fact, it's not referred to as the church of Christ. It just simply says that the churches of Christ salute you. Okay. Is the name that's out there on the sign the official name of the church? Don't be afraid. Shake your head this way. No, no. The church is actually referred to how many different ways? That's a trick question. I don't even have a number in my mind because there are so many different ways. In fact, when I was kind of going through that, I referred to it as the body. Is it oftentimes referred to as the body? Yes. Is it referred to as the kingdom? Yes. Is it referred to as the saved? I mean, over and over and over again, the church is referred to in lots of different ways. Why is it safe to refer to the church that way here in the New Testament scriptures? In fact, you can call it a lot of stuff. Because how many churches were there? Just one. So when you referred to the church, you didn't say, now, which church are you talking about? Are you talking about the church whose sign outside says the way? Or are you talking about the one that says the church of God or the one that says the church of Christ or the one that says the body of Christ or what? Which one are you talking about? There was no such confusion in the first century. You get that? No confusion. So why is it that we have a sign out there that says Boonville Church of Christ? Okay, well, what does the word denomination mean? Division or um, denomination, uh, the nominal part is actually in reference to name. People dividing themselves up by names, okay? Which is something that 1 Corinthians, especially like the first two chapters, if not the first three chapters, deals with exclusively right? Some people were saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. So even in that setting, notice that, and, and this is important. Some people were saying we're effectively the disciples of Peter. Some people said we're disciples of Apollos. Some people said we're disciples of Christ. You might say, well, I'm a disciple of Christ, so I'm in that last group. You better say, eh, wait a minute, no, because they weren't doing it like you're thinking right now. What they were saying was, I'm different from you. So I'm going to say I'm a part of this group as opposed to this group. How many groups are there supposed to be? One. So when they're divided up, is that sinful or not sinful? That is sinful because that's not God's way. Here's what I, I, I've always thought that this would be neat to do. But of course, we'd be terrified to do it, I'm sure. And practically speaking, maybe it would just create more confusion that it's worth. But it used to be that in days gone by, you didn't really have a sign that said, for instance, the Boonville Church of Christ. You may even see some churches like this now. On the side of the building, it would say, the Church of Christ meets here. Now, what that says is the Lord's Church is meeting right here. You could have called it anything. You, would it be right to call the Lord's church the church of God? No, nod your head this way. Yes, it would be. Eight different times I mentioned to you. It's referred to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. When, when Paul referred to the church in Corinth, you know what he called it? The church of God, which is in Corinth. Is that a biblical name? Yes. Your religious friends likely want to argue with you about that. But I want us to understand that in the first century, they really didn't have a name for the church. It was called all sorts of things. It was, these were words to describe what the church is. For instance, when I refer to the Lord's church as the church of Christ, I'm just simply saying it's Christ's church. 
He owns this church. When I talk about it being the church of God, I'm talking about it having been planned by God. When I talk about it as the body, I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm not giving it a name. I'm giving it a description. That's the biblical way. And what I was about to share with you was that I would love it if we had an electronic sign out there that instead of just saying Boonville Church of Christ, that like every five seconds, it changed. Boonville Church of Christ, Boonville Church of God, Boonville the way, Boonville the body of Christ, on and on and on. Because what would that say about us? <laughs> we're, we're just, here's what we are. It's not, it's not our it's not our name as though we're denominated like everybody else. You say you're this church or this church. or th How many different names have people come up with? Yeah, you know, when I was growing up, I remember somebody saying something like, would you believe that there are in this country right now 200 different denominational? There are well over now 2,000. Maybe way more than that. I mean, it's, it is, every time one pops up somewhere, they've got a different name to separate them from everybody else. Is that the Lord's way? It is not. So how can I know if I'm in the one that the Bible describes? Well, if I'm going to be the one that's in the Bible, then I'm going to be in the one after which I have obeyed the entry requirements in order to gain that access. Yes. Yes. That's the whole purpose of our studying these conversions. How did these people get into the one church that was described in the scriptures? It is, it's kind of an academic thing often that we'll talk about, well, where did you find this church or that church there? I've even had people say, well, yeah, you know, John the Baptist, he was a Baptist. So the Baptist church must have that, that's not what that's describing. Baptist church didn't uh, exist back in John the Baptist's time. John the Baptist, the word Baptist right there is actually describing the very thing that he was noted for. And that is immersing people in water. John the immerser, if you will. In fact, if you're part of a church that came before the day of Pentecost, what church would you be in? Well, I don't know, but that wouldn't be the Lord's church, right? Because we know that it was established right here in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost. Where was John the Baptist then? He's been long dead, hasn't he? Some of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard come out of a desperation to try and prove that they are the true church. You know where the true church is described? Right here in the scriptures. If you wanna know if you're in the true church, measure what you practice what you believe against what's here in the scripture. It is a simple thing to do. So there are threats and murder, this effort against anybody who is a part of the way. Would you have been a part of the way? Nod your head this way. Come on, people. Yeah, of course. In fact, we are part of the way right now. Yes, better be, better be. So we are a part of the way, whether men or women, that he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now that sounds serious? That's serious, deadly serious. Deadly because already, he's, still, he's still breathing murder, right? He wants to kill somebody. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, where he was intending to go. Suddenly this light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Was Saul persecuting? We're going to find out this is Jesus. Is Saul persecuting Jesus? He is persecuting Jesus. How? Because Jesus isn't here in the church because the church is the body of Christ. If you attack the body of Christ, who are you attacking? You're attacking Jesus. Whoa. People better leave us alone. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. You, you, are you with me? We are with you. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. 
Uh, some trans older translations have hard for you to kick against the prick. What was he talking about? Let's go to goading. Let's, that's the word that's used in my translation. What does it mean to goad something? Like, for instance, sheep or cattle. Yeah, a sharp stick. Um, I know, uh, are they called fire sticks or those electric prod things that you've got now? You can hit the, hit the a prod, cattle prod. Uh, that gives them a little shock. They move on. Here's the thing. This was, had a little pointy thing on the end of a stick, like a spear. And you took that and you poked that. Did the animal have, have any way to get you to stop? Might kick at it, but guess what you're going to do? Keep poking at him until he does what? Until he does what you want him to do. It is hard for you, Saul, to keep kicking against the goad. I am goading you along and there's going to come a point at which you can, in other words, I guess this is a good way to put it. You are fighting a losing battle right here, Saul of Tarsus, as you are murdering my disciples and you are persecuting me because you will never be able to do what? You will never be able to win. You will never ever defeat this. And so, trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, who's he speaking with? He's speaking with the Lord himself. So far, how is it that we have discovered that people learn the gospel and obey it? So far up until this point. Remember, uh, for instance, let's go, let's go back just a tick and remember the conversion story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Did the spirit overwhelm the Ethiopian eunuch and change his heart so that he could obey the God? No, what had to happen? Philip had to speak and teach the word of God to the Ethiopian eunuch. And then when he heard it and he believed it, then he, you know, he repented, he was baptized and all of that. He confessed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Okay, so who are you? Well, I'm Jesus. Perfect, right? Uh, perfect. All I need is for Jesus to save me. Jesus, Lord Jesus, save me. Is that how it works? Be careful now because there are an awful lot of religious people out there that will tell you that if you'll just raise your hand or somehow exalt the Lord and ask him to save you, he'll save you right there on the spot. Is, let's see, I'm Jesus. He's talking right to him. It's hard for you to kick it. I'm, I'm prodding you. I'm wanting you to come on board and he is ready, right? I, I, wow. So I will, trembling and astonished, is he overwhelmed with what's happened? Yes. Lord, what do you want me to do? All the Lord has to say is, well, believe in me and you'll be saved. But the Lord says, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Come on, why didn't the Lord just tell him right now? It's the Lord after all. Because of one very important thing. How does a person receive the gospel message? from teaching, you are taught it, you hear the word in order to develop faith. Not by some supernatural means, but that word is always communicated by, well, technically a preacher. But in, in the scripture, they're not talking about the preacher. They're talking about anybody who can proclaim that truth. Yes, you could do that. So he says, well, okay, a little awkward. I'm not gonna do it. But you go into the city and it'll be told you what you must do. The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Now, in the other two accounts, we're going to find out that the guys that are standing here, they hear the voice or they, let's back up. The word voice actually comes from the Greek word phone. They heard the sound. They heard the sound, but they didn't hear what was being communicated, okay? They aren't the object of the message. What good would that have done for all of them to hear what just transpired with Paul? If you want to be saved, how are you going to be saved? By the hearing of the message from somebody, a, hum a human, in other words. 
So they heard the voice, but they didn't see anybody. Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were open, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Why is he not eating? Why is he not drinking? Okay. Uh, he, we're going to find out he's praying. Who, which one of you read last? Okay. Rick, will you read chapter 7, verse 58 for us for a second? We're asking the question, why in the world is he so distraught after meeting Jesus? Chapter 7, verse 58. It works. It works. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Okay, hang on. Got another scripture for you in a second. It'll be chapter 8, verse 1. Now let's examine this text for a second. Why is Saul of Tarsus so distraught at meeting Jesus? Look what he had just done. He has just, he has just left the scene of putting to death and being an accomplice to Stephen's murder. In fact, all of those people that picked up the stones and went and did it, what'd they do? Put their coats down there at Saul of Tarsus' feet. He is complicit. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church. Was, oh, that's okay. Saul was what? Consenting to his death. Saul, you think it's okay for us to kill this guy? What did he say? Yeah. And when we get to here chapter 9, how's he doing? He's breathing fire over it. I want to get as many of these people killed as I can. Give me some letters. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to round up a bunch of them and bring them back. I want to snuff out this way. Lord says, whew, uh-uh, because what you're doing to them, you're doing to me. When he hears that, what is the reaction? He's scared. Does it remind you of what happened on the day of Pentecost? When they heard that they had crucified the Son of God, what happened to them? They were cut to the heart. Does this sound a little bit like being cut to the heart? Doesn't it? So he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at a house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he's praying. He's been praying now for three days. Uh, if you'll just pray this prayer, you'll be saved. Yes? Apparently not. He's been praying prayers for three days. What's happened? He is still waiting to hear what? What you must do. Let me tell you, you can pray until you're blue in the face God may send somebody to preach to you as, happen, as will happen in the case of Cornelius. Cornelius is also a sinner who prays to the Lord, but the Lord doesn't come to him and save him. The Lord sends someone to preach the gospel to him. Same thing that's happening right here with Saul of Tarsus. So we got uh, Arise, go to the street. We got uh, in a vision. He's seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him so that he might receive a sign. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. Anybody ever hear about Saul of Tarsus up to this point? Yeah, he is a fire-breathing enemy of yours. He's putting people to death. What in the world? Much harm he has done to your saints. Saints. The word saints there comes from the Greek word hagios. Anybody know how else hagios is translated? H-O-L-Y. A person who is a saint is holy. Or what's another word for holy? Set apart. Set apart from the world, we often say. Uh, Jeremy, would you read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10? This is actually, as he's getting that, this is actually the first time that a Christian is referred to as being a saint. 
It's not the first time the word's ever used, but it's the first time it's ever used in application to Christians, which ought to tell us something about who we are. And this passage certainly will. 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. You may not be perfect, but if you are in Jesus Christ and you are in his church, you are a H-O-L-Y, holy nation. Or you could be referred to this way, right? You are a hagios. You are a saint. You're a called out person. You're separate. So he has done all these things to your saints in Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Well, time's up. Thank you for your attention. We'll pick up here next week under different uh, management, because uh, JT and I are going to be out of the country for a couple of weeks. Uh, however, we're going to pick up here and see... How that what happens to Saul of Tarsus very much reflects everything that has happened thus far in conversion stories. What's going to be beautiful about this is that this same pattern applies to every conversion story that we find in this book. Actually, it's the plan of God, not just for this particular generation, but it was going to be spread to the whole world and to generations to come, of which we all have become beneficiaries because we now are the what? The way, the way. Let's pray uh, for safety and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for our time together and the study of your word. Pray that you'll help to just fill us up with it and be effective in sharing it. Uh, please keep us safe as we drive home tonight. And if you'll give us a new day, I pray, Lord, you'll just put a lot of opportunities in our hands to demonstrate our faith and maybe bring someone to you. In Jesus' name, amen.